because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had the consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the roll of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. After, say, after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we, we have been sacrificed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Waiting from that time onward until his enemies, he made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law upon their heart, and upon their mind I will write them. He then says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We ask that we set aside the trials and tribulations that have occurred during this week. We ask that we set aside the things that may be waiting for us in this coming week, and we just take this time now and focus upon you and upon your word and worship you in spirit and in truth. May each and every one of us leave here a different person. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> Anybody else hear big hum? Yeah. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> Is it me? <laughs> oh, man. So, when we come here, Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 18, <clears throat> this is the final doctrinal section of the book of Hebrews. So, most of the New Testament epistles are written in such a way that a portion, half, a third, whatever, is going to deal with doctrine, teaching. And then the rest is application. How do we apply what we've, what we've come to understand? And so Hebrews chapter 10 is going to, going to sum it all up. 1 through 18 is going to kind of wrap up this idea that we've been discussing, the superiority of Christ, that He is over all. 
ultimately what we're coming to is that he is everything that we need. Everything that we need is wrapped up in this understanding. We need Christ. We need Messiah. We need Jesus in our life. And so he begins to tell us this by telling us first in, in Hebrews 10, 1 through 3, that there is a remembrance of sin. See, every time there was a continual sacrifice, a continual sacrifice was a reminder, I'm not right with God, I'm not right with God, I'm not right with God. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, he says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would... Are they, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Now, one of the things we want to make sure we comprehend, when the Old Testament saints are saved, the Old Testament saints are saved by faith. They're saved living by faith, and that faith is putting their trust in the sacrifice. That sacrifice is a picture of Messiah, but Messiah hasn't come yet. So at the beginning of the year, there would be Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur would be this this sacrifice that covered the nation. So they would get out and they would have this day of atonement, where where one uh, animal was sacrificed, one was set free. One animal died, the other animal was set outside the camp, uh, bestowed upon that animal were the sins of the people. The picture of the sins have left, there has been the shedding of blood, there's a covering. But that was not applied in the individual life of an Old Testament saint unless he lived his life by faith, and he did that by applying the blood personally. That means he would bring his own sacrifice. You have the overall uh, Yom Kippur provision for the nation that covers the nation, but it doesn't cover the individual until you came to the altar yourself. It's a picture, don't you see, the exact same thing that Jesus Christ did. When He died on the cross, He became the propitiation for the whole world. His blood is enough to forgive the sins of the entire world. But unless... In each individual, that blood is applied. It's not efficacious. It doesn't do anything. Unless you, by faith, live by the sacrifice Jesus Christ has provided. So we see this same picture. But what he's telling us here in the beginning, we see the importance of the law. The law had an importance, but it was just a shadow of that which was to come. Nobody wants to follow around the shadow, right? We've talked about this before. We don't want to hold on to the picture. We want the reality. And that's exactly what he's laying out for. It was a shadow of good things to come. What was the good things to come? What is it that the law was telling them about? There would be a sacrifice. One day there will be a sacrifice that is enough that we never have to go back again. All we have to do is apply it to the doorposts of our heart. Right? All we have to do is apply it in our life, by faith, in faith, and we can see the promise given in the new covenant applied to the lives of believers. It is the image of the real. It's not the real, it's the image. And we see the inability of the Levitical sacrifice because they had to continually do it every year. 
Every year there was another Yom Kippur. Every year another Yom Kippur. Every year after Yom Kippur there was another application of that blood in the life of the good and the faithful within Israel. Now you could live in Israel and never apply that blood. You could live in Israel and never do it. You could show up for Yom Kippur, have a big old party, say, Woo, man, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, right on. We're good. And then if you never lived your life by faith, trusting in the sacrifices by personally bringing yours, the blood of Yom Kippur did not do anything for you. The Bible's going to call it willful sin. Willfully remaining under your sin. Not the fact that you sinned on purpose. Anybody in here never sin on purpose? See, when we're going to talk about willful sin, I think it's going to be next week when we actually bring it up, but, but hopefully I can broach the subject a couple of times. If there's somebody here who, has, who only sins accidentally, okay, now you have sinned on purpose. Because every one of us, at one point or another, knows we're doing something wrong, right? Willful sin was willfully remaining under my sin, not applying the blood of the sacrifice to my life, which would set me free. That's willful sin, and there's no sacrifice for that. If you won't apply the blood of Jesus Christ in your life, there's nothing else that's going to save you. There's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. But what in all of this was the intent of God? It says, even in these sacrifices, there is a reminder, year by year, of sin. So what was God's point? Why did God do that? Because it would remind the people that there's, there's something that separates me from God, my sin. There, then there's a, a hopeful looking forward to the future for a, a better answer. Another answer, something that can make us clean before God. And so this is what he's going to talk about as he's moving in to verse 4. He lays out his second point, and that is the removal of sin. It says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Never in the Old Testament, under the sacrificial system, was sins taken away. Under the Old Testament sacrificial system sins were covered. In Psalm 32.1, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. What covered their sin? The blood of the sacrifice. But it's impossible for the blood of animals to purge, to wipe away the sin of mankind. That was never the point. In fact, there was a hopeful Scripture in Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, that's, far, that's how far He has removed our transgression from us. And really, the fulfillment of that concept is seen in John chapter 1. When, when uh, John the Baptist is looking at the Messiah, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which does what? Takes away the sin of the world takes it away. It was covered, but it will be taken away. And we see this concept in the revelation of God. The revelation of God in verse 5 says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body 
you have prepared for me. It's a quote from Psalm 40. There's an interesting little tidbit of information. I don't know if it matters to you or not, but if you look up Psalm 40, verse 6, it doesn't say a body you have prepared for me. It says, mine ears you have opened. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the rabbis in 270 B.C., when they did that translation, the Bible, by the way, one of the first books translated into another language, when they translated it, they gave the meaning. This is a quote from the Septuagint. Ears you have given me. What is the psalmist declaring? You gave me ears to hear your will. You gave me a desire to do your will. And so that is being applied by the writer of Hebrews to the Messiah. A body you have prepared for me. For what is it that Jesus said? I've come to do the will of my Father. I've come to say the words of my Father. I've come to do the things my Father wants me to do. To work the works of my Father. He had a body prepared to fulfill the purpose of God. The first thing in the revelation of God we see is this body, His sacrifice. It says, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you prepared. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. In those four words, in sacrifice, offering, burnt offerings, and sacrifice for sin, he has, in that one sentence, declared of all the different types of sacrifices that were under the Old Testament Levitical sacrificial system. He lays them all out. Everyone there was, from grain offering, to burnt offering, to sin offering. All of them are wrapped up in these four phrases. And what's the point of his four phrases? He says, that's not what God wanted. Those were shadows. Those were pictures. Those were coverings. But that's not what God wanted. In Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah the prophet is pretty fired up. In fact, Isaiah the prophet's pretty fired up for the whole book of Isaiah. But in Isaiah chapter 1, just, just listen to what he has to say. Verse 11 to 15, he says this, What to me, this is God speaking, is the multitude of your sacrifices? What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Look, all the while God is saying, look, the deal isn't what things can you do for me. The deal never was, how many animals can you kill? How many things can you wipe out? How many times can you bring those before me and yet not want to do my will? Your hands are covered with blood. You do all these outward 
actions, but your heart remains unchanged. See, that's the beauty of the new covenant. Because the new covenant didn't work from the outside in. The new covenant works from the inside out. God said, I will get inside of you. I will write my law on your hearts. I will give you a new heart, the proclamation from Ezekiel. I will remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And the reality is, oftentimes today, Christians live in the same way. We want to punch a card. We want to say, look, I went to church. I went to Christmas service and Easter service and a couple other times in between. I have fulfilled my obligation to God. But God says, I'm not looking for your obligation. I want your heart. I'm not looking for the things you can do for me. I want you to give yourself to me. And personally, it is like walking into the throne room of God is a picture of uh, just perfect light and white. You ever walked into somebody's house who has white carpet? No? You guys never had to do that? My grandma had white carpet, white couches, white. Everything was covered with plastic. It was a nightmare. <laughs> I, it's like that, that's what the throne room of heaven is like. Just perfectly white. And when I come walking in, my hands are dripping with blood. And it doesn't matter how much I try to wipe off, how much I try to get off of me, they're still dripping. And so I'm leaving a trail. So that when I finally come to that place, that position before God Almighty, my heart's cry is, Lord, my hands are covered with blood and I can't fix it. I'm broken. I'm guilty. And the Lord sets before me a basin of the blood of His Son. And He says, here, wash in this. Blood for blood? How's that going to help? For though your sins were as scarlet, they shall be as wool. They shall be white as snow. We wash ourselves in the blood of the Lamb and we become clean. That's how we come to God. It's not a list of the things I do, how many songs I've memorized, how many scriptures I got down, how many times I pray. Those are all good things, and they will naturally flow out of the heart that is surrendered to God. But the way we come before God is, Lord, I'm broken, I'm a mess, I don't know what to do with my life. We fall down before Him, and He makes us clean. I don't make me clean. He makes me clean. In the Old Testament system, people started thinking, well, I can do whatever I want as long as I bring my sacrifice. And God said, I don't want your sacrifices no more. Your offerings stink to me. Because they're not given to me from a heart of love. They're given to me out of a heart of manipulation. In Jeremiah 6.20, it says, what use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba, or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Hosea 6.6 6 says, for I desired steadfast love, not sacrifice. God's desire hasn't changed. I desire steadfast love. Not sacrifice. 
There's not a list of things that we do in order to elevate ourselves to a position uh, that is better than someone else. It is simply coming before the King of Kings unworthy and, and asking Him, begging Him to make me clean. And then He does it. He does it. And for the soul that that is their experience with God, the expression from the heart that comes forth from the heart is one of love. You ever been forgiven by somebody for something they just should not have forgive you for? The natural response coming from us should be a steadfast love. He says, I'd rather the knowledge of God rather than burn offerings to know Him. To know, that's what God wants. That's what God wants. Today we wrap up the fast, 21 days, focus on the Lord. But if our fast was more about losing weight than it was about plugging into God, or if our fast had some other things wrapped it up into it, it's, it's not pleasing to God. God wants you to know Him. Come and know me. How do we know God? How do I know my wife? I spend time with her. I've been with my wife for... Oh, now I messed up. I've been with my wife for... Where's she at? I don't even have to tell anybody. She's not here. Like 30, 30 something. 31, 2, 2. Are you going to save me? 33? 35 years. Okay. <laughs> so, I'll go with Kathy's number. So, in all that time, the reason, the reason I know sooner or later she's going to poke her head out is because I know her. I know, I know the things that make her smile. I know what's going to make her mad. I know her, and I know her because I spend time with her, because I'm around her. And that's the same thing God's asking for. I want you to know me because you want to be with me. I want you to love me because you know that I loved you first. It's relational. It's relational. That's, that's what God wants people to understand in this sacrifice, this body that God prepared for His Son to come and to pave the way. It's not about the things that we can do. It's about the things He did. Glorifying Him for that. His submission to God. Look at Hebrews 10.7. It says, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. In the scroll of the book, Jesus is saying, look, the whole book is talking about me doing your will. That's a quotation from Psalm 47, and it was written by David. Because when David read the Bible, he said, man, you want me to do this. This whole book is what you want me to do. So David said, in the scroll of the book, it is written for me to do your will, O God. And those words become the words of Messiah, who would come and fulfill the will of God, to fulfill those very things. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first 
in order to establish the second. You see, he, he substitutes for the old covenant. The old ways a picture, the new ways the reality. The first refers to animal sacrifices of the old covenant. The second to the sacrifice of his son. Once for all. And then he goes on to our sanctification in verse 10. And by that, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So what's the cause of our sanctification? His will. And by that will, I have come to do your will, O Lord. By that will, we have been sanctified. That's past tense, guys. A lot of times when we look at sanctification, we look at sanctification as some, some measure of what we may earn of salvation. Because we talk about sanctification being what salvation is in the present. And there's a sense where sanctification is both objective and subjective. But in its objective nature, what we're reading here, sanctification is a done deal. Your sanctification was wrought for you at the cross. There's nothing you add to it. You just get a little better at walking in it. But you're not adding anything to the work of Jesus. Jesus did it all. He has accomplished it all. There's a sense in where the Holy Spirit is teaching us to become more holy as we follow Him. But you in Christ Jesus, it's a a statement of position, right? Not performance. Position is where you are. Where are you? In Jesus. Can Jesus be holier than He is right now? Can Jesus be better than He is right now? No. So if you are in Christ, you are a saint. The Bible says you are called saints. You know what the word is? Hagios. Same word for holy. It's also the same word for sanctified. You are holy. Because you are in Him. He says, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By faith, He has done it all. It's a perfect passive participle. We see it over and over again in Scripture, this word sanctified in past tense, we often read it in present or future. But in 1 Corinthians 6.11, it says this, And such were some of you. What's he talking about? Well, you are all a bunch of dirty sinners. If you remember, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 10, he's got a list of all these wretched sins. And then he goes on to say in Verse 11, he lays it out for us. Such were some of you. That's what you were. That's not what you are. I was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind. Now I see. It's all accomplished in Christ. It says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Past tense. It's done. You were justified, you are sanctified in Christ. You have been saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. 
He has done it all. We abide in him as he abides in us. So what's the channel through which this comes to us? By the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And what's the certainty of it? How long does it last? Once for all. Once for all. Jesus Christ has made the way. He goes on then to the remission of our sins in verse 11. We see the problem. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. What's the problem? But it wouldn't do it. It couldn't accomplish the goal. Every priest stands. Don't miss that. Every priest stands. There's no seats in the temple. There's no seats in the tabernacle. There's no place for the priest to ever sit down. If he was there, he was up. And if he was up, he was making an offering for sin. He was making intercession for the body. He was lighting candles. He was making the showbread. He was replacing the showbread. It was constant activity. And the picture of that constant activity, that daily offering, that repetition, is the effectiveness of it. It could never take away sin. That's why it was perpetual. That's why there was a continuance. But then we see the preeminence of Christ. Look in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Waiting for the time when his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. What's his sacrifice? He offered himself, what, one time for all sin. He has become the propitiation, the substitute, not for our sins only, John wrote, but for the sins of the whole world. He is the Yom Kippur, the provision for the whole world. But then what must the individual do? Apply the blood of Jesus Christ personally in their life. That means we receive that by faith. And what did he do after he offered himself? Other, not like the other priests, he sat down. What does sitting down imply? It's over. He's done. When you finish your work, you sit down. So what does he say? He, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for what? It says, waiting for the time when his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. That's a quotation, by the way, from Psalm 110, verse 1. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. We read it also in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13 it said and to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet what is it that jesus is waiting for the culmination of all things the culmination of all things when his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet what's his enemies so we're going to see the the one enemy was death, right? He defeated him when he rose from the dead. So death's been defeated. Death's been done. Sin's been defeated. Now he waits. He waits for every last enemy to be placed 
under his feet. And what's the perfection of it? Then look at verse 14. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I don't know another way to say that. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, a little while ago, I told you objectively, our sanctification is already done. You're in Christ. You're holy. You're as holy as Jesus is if you're in Christ. But here he says he has perfected or completed those who are being sanctified. Because in the reality of our life, we're still living day by day, aren't we? We're still making our decisions. We're still getting up and moving forward in life. So what we have by promise, what we have already claimed, staked and planted, the flag in my heart saying that I am His, I am justified and I am sanctified, is going to be lived out in my life from now until the moment I see Jesus face to face, at which time I'll be glorified. Then I'll be saved from the presence of sin. No more battle. Today, still a battle. Still fighting. Still getting after it. Still failing at times to walk in what Christ has already given me. But the reality is, I'm going to, I can hold fast to the fact that He has perfected, He has completed for all time those who are being sanctified. He has accomplished it. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23 it says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, I may have varying degrees of success between now and the time I see Jesus face to face, but in God's eyes, I'm in Him. And if I'm in Christ, He sees the blood of Jesus, not my failure. He sees the blood of Jesus, so I don't have to be under some yoke of condemnation. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, For there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 says, To those who walk according to the Spirit, and not according to the flesh. There's going to be varying degrees of success, but there's no condemnation. If you are in Christ, you are perfected, completed. You're perfected. And then our goal is to stay in step with His Spirit. That's what the men's retreat's all about. To learn to walk with Him. Remember when we was little? And our dad would come walking through, shuck off his boots. We'd throw them boots on and try to follow dad. That's what the Christian life's supposed to be. Staying in step with Dad. His steps are big. Maybe I don't quite measure up. But what was it that God wanted? He didn't want the sacrifice. He didn't want their burnt offerings. He didn't want all the... What did He want? He wanted the heart. What's more blessed for a dad to turn around and see his son trying to walk where he walked? Go where he went. Be who he is. Now we as earthly fathers, maybe we want more than who we are for our kids. But you can understand the pleasure in the heart of God who says, that's what I want. The ones who want to follow me. The ones who want to be in step with me. The ones who want to come along with me.
verse 15, he gives us the proof. It says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit in our life. It says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. Of what? The fact that this is now a work of God. It's God's work that He's doing. This is the covenant God said, I will make with them. I will make with them. And we have that incredible beauty of the wonder of the interchange. That He gets inside. I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them in their minds. I'm going to get inside. Because the only way for God to really save one of our souls is for Him to give us a new heart. Because the heart we got is bad. So Jesus said, if you come to me, I'll give you a new one. I'll take out that old, crusty heart of stone. And I'll give you a new heart of flesh. That has within it my law. I'll write in your mind my law. I'm going to put it inside of you. This new covenant that he lays out for us. And the word of God's promise, look at verse 17. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds. Now, you ever think about how good God's memory is? Mine's not so good. I, I got to have my wife come out and tell me how long <laughs> I've known her. But God's memory is a lot better, isn't it? My memory, I don't always remember where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there. I've been known to miss appointments now and again. God's memory is perfect. But what does He promise never to remember? I'm not going to remember your sin no more. I'm not going to remember your sin no more. So the beauty of that is, what do you need to hold on to it so much for? God says, I won't remember it. As far as the east is from the west... I have removed it by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have applied to the doorposts of your heart the blood of the Passover lamb. What was the whole story of Passover? Put the blood on the doorpost of your house. Apply the blood. Put it on. And I'll pass over. We have to do that same thing in our life. Well, how do we do it? I don't have a paintbrush. I can't get inside of me and paint on this doorpost. He tells us how to do it. By faith... We believe. By faith we believe in what He has done. That He will keep His promise. So I don't put half my eggs in that basket. I don't put a quarter of my eggs in that basket. I put all my eggs. Everything I got is in that. It's Jesus or nothing. All in Him. Or it ain't in Him at all. Everything we got. Man, we look around, we're a bunch of broken messes, ain't we? And we can keep lying to ourselves and say, well, you know, if I do this and do that and do this, I can, I can become pretty clean. I'll look just like a whitewashed tomb full of dead man's bones. But Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. And he could never be fooled for the guy who painted his outside up. What is it that Jesus wanted? Jesus wanted little Zacchaeus. 
Jesus wanted that Gadarean demoniac. You ever think about that story? You guys know the story of the Gadarean demoniac? I am legion, for we are many. Every time my kids would bring home one of them crazy looking action figures, you know, I can't remember, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or, you know, I'd hold them up and I'd go, I am legion. It's my twisted sense of humor. I always thought those were bad guys. The point is, you have the Gadarean demoniac, right? Full of all these unclean spirits. But you know that all he is, is the reality of every Pharisee, every Sadducee, every man, woman, and child on earth. Because we are all full of that. So what does Jesus do? He sets him free, right? He blows out his life, man, and he takes all those demons. And all that guy wants to do is follow him. All he wants to do in response to what Jesus has done for him, Lord, I just want to, I'll go wherever you send me, Lord. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just want to come with you. He told the demons, yes. He told the people who wanted him to leave, who didn't like him, yes. The only person he told no was that guy. I want to come with you, Lord. I want to go. And the Lord said, no. You stay. You stay. And you show them how a life that has been changed looks. Because on the outside, he's still the same guy. But the inside was wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Such an incredible picture. That that is us. That's not them other people. The biggest problem in our life is we think that's all the other people. That's the crackheads. That's the meth addicts. No, it ain't. That's us. Just because you're better at cleaning up the outside than they are? Because you just got it together enough to get up in the morning and take a bath and brush your hair and go do what you need to do for work. It don't make the inner evil any worse or any better. So I come to him with my bloody hands and I say, God, you make me clean. Because I can't do it. And Jesus Christ does it. He does that perfect work. He does that amazing work. And He says, I will remember your sin no more. You're clean. You're clean. In Jesus Christ, you are just men made perfect. That's what the Bible declares. In Christ, I am a just man made perfect. I'm not a just man made perfect anywhere else. Any place else. It is only in Christ Jesus that that is a reality. So look what he says in verse 18. He says, where there is forgiveness of these, then there's no more offering for sin. Look, when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Te telestai. He meant it. When he said, it is is finished he meant it was finished it was done the price is paid it is all laying there the the check has been written out all it has to do is be cash all we have to do is come to the basin and wash in the blood of the lamb and he 
makes us clean. There is no more offering for you to do. There is no more penance for you to offer. There are no other works that you can do that make you right before God. The Bible tells us that we are His workmanship. We're His poem. We're His masterpiece. That God is doing a work in and through us. That He has good works for us to walk in, but our good works don't make us right before God. Our good works is just what happens when a life changes from the inside out. Fruit happens if Jesus Christ, if you're attached to the vine, if Jesus is in your life, fruit happens. You're going to bring forth good works. That's going to be a part of your life. But none of those things get you closer to God. What got you close to God was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And He has done it. It is finished once and for all. So in Christ, guys, in Christ, shadow gives way to substance. The picture gives way to reality. The temporary has been replaced with the eternal. The imperfect becomes perfect in Christ. Judgment has become judgment has become mercy and the law gives way to grace. All in Christ. Because Jesus Christ is everything you're ever going to need. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray.